This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. Resurrection Month, everyone. And uh, we have reason to rejoice because God has done it. And the fact that God has done it should give us solace. We should be able to rejoice because the fact is this game is over. It's over. And we've won. We, we're on the winning team. But the challenge with that is sometimes it doesn't look like we are winning. Sometimes it looks like we're losing. But we can put our faith in God and what he has done. And that sometimes is not as big a challenge as it seems. But other times, it seems like the weight of the world is on our shoulders when we're trying to trust God. Can I pray for you? We'll get started. Father God, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Thank you for what you've done and what you've completed and what you've accomplished, Father God. I ask you, Father God, in the brief moments I have this morning to speak through me clearly, Father God. I pray people hear your voice and not mine, and I pray you get glory out of this. In Jesus' name, amen. So how's everyone doing this morning? Good? Good. Tired. Okay, anybody else? Anybody else tired? Mm. Play along with me, Leo. Now, you gotta, it's going to get awkward for a second, but this is for communication purposes. Leo, remember when I was at your wedding? Yeah, oh, yeah. Don't you remember when I was there? I was sitting over there on the right side, and I was there, and I was like, cheering you on. You remember that? Are you sure? You don't remember me, and you don't remember when, like, the, the walls and the buildings started shaking, and we were like, man, what's going on? You don't remember that? Are you sure? Man. Okay. Do you remember uh, when I jumped out and started giving people a high five today? Good job, Leo. Good job. You don't remember any of that? God. I feel disappointed. See, you're right. I wasn't there. Forgive me, Lord, for lying. But the point I'm trying to make is there's always a witness who could refute a false testimony. There's always a witness that can refute a false testimony. That Leo could just say, hey, man, what in the world are you talking about? Do I even need to be at your line, pastor? Yes. I wasn't there. Now, even though I was trying to remember all these things, it was all an illusion. I was making them up as I was talking. He can tell you clear as day, I was not there. And because he can say that, he could refute anything that wasn't true. This is a fact that we cannot deny. When we come to the scriptures, we see the exact same scenario. Every time someone says they saw Jesus Christ resurrected, there could have been somebody that said what? No, that didn't happen. When someone said, oh, no, no, I saw Jesus at that moment, people could have said, no, no, you didn't see it. That was, that's not true. But we don't see that. We see before 40 days have passed after Jesus Christ's resurrection, over 500 plus people who have said with confidence that they saw Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. And if that be true, where are the doubters, the naysayers? Where are the people like Lee who could say, oh, no, no, bro, that, that wasn't true. You didn't, you didn't see that. We don't see that. We see the day of his resurrection, a witness. We see Mary Magdalene on the day he was resurrected. She's saying, you know what? I was there, and I saw him resurrected. Where are the refuters? Where are the people that said that didn't happen? No, no. Mary, you didn't see that. We don't have that. Very quickly after this, Mary, Solomon, and Jonah. And we see at least one other woman saying, you know what? I went by the tomb, and, and he wasn't there. Matter of fact, there were angels there. Somebody who was there, could have said, you know what? No, no, no. They were at my house. <laughs> they didn't go to the tomb. But we don't see that. We go on to see Simon Peter, him and John, 
who run to the tomb. And they go in and look, and his body is gone. And they come back bewildered and amazed. Where is anybody saying, you know what? That wasn't true. Peter, you were at my house. Stop lying, Peter. Stop lying, bro. We don't see that. Keep going on. We see these guys who are walking on the Emmaus Road, walking and talking. At least one person should come up and say, if this was a lie, that did not happen. And the story goes on. Up to seven disciples. Then once again, the disciples again. Then James, Jesus' brother. And then this is the one I like. That right here. On a mountain. Paul says up to 500 people saw him at one time. But where are the, the, the naysayers, the doubters? Where are the, the people who have the counter argument saying that did not happen? As I was saying, my wife and I were at Leo's wedding. She wasn't here, so she's going to be like, what? We were there. Not really. But you can say clearly, bruh, you were not there. We don't have this. We have testimonies that have not been refuted. And that should give you comfort. Because all of our faith hinges on one truth. That Jesus Christ was resurrected. From the very beginning, from the fall until his resurrection, God's word has been at stake. God told all humanity that I would send my son. And once Jesus Christ came, he gave us witnesses. Over 500 plus people who are articulating and arguing, who are proclaiming at the cost of their own lives that Jesus Christ was resurrected. To me, one of the other most profound ones is who? James. Does anyone know who James is? James is Jesus's brother. Think about this one for a second. If my brother, William Bass III, that's my brother, said that he was the Messiah, I would have been saying what Jesus' brother said earlier in the Bible. He's out of his mind. Be quiet, William. You're great. If you're supposed to be the man, then won't you do this, do this, do this? I would have never believed that my brother was the Messiah. Now, even more, if you're a Jew, you are under the law. And you are obligated to fulfill it in order to be right with God. And the question was, when Jesus Christ came, was he the Messiah? To put your faith in Jesus Christ at that time meant you were being ostracized from the rest of your community. For James, Jesus' brother, to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior speaks volumes. His brother, the guy who earlier said, man, you, you're crazy. You're not the one. If you're the one, then facetiously speaking, man, do this and do that. Go to the feast. Stand out in public. Scream to your innocence, your highest voice. Scream from the rooftop that you are the Messiah. But this guy, his brother, says, you know what? He's the Messiah. He's the one. These are logical proofs, facts, these are evidences that we can hold on to. And God has given us this to help our faith, to help us build confidence in him. But the challenge is often life. False doctrine, deception, cares of this world. All these things that seem to cloud our heart to make us doubt that Jesus Christ was really resurrected. We doubt God's word. We doubt his character. And we don't even oftentimes trust the leading of his spirit. And God stands tall right here. Forty days after Jesus Christ's resurrection, over 500 plus people say, I saw him. Jesus Christ was really resurrected. Can you trust him? I got a quote. It says, we came here with an idea 
that we were going to have to weather the storm or be the storm. This is a football quote, and I think it's appropriate for the church. Because whether you know it or not, we as a church have been and will be until our last breath at war. We've been fighting against an enemy who doesn't play by the rules, who's deceitful, who's cunning, who doesn't have to come at you straight ahead and attack. He can use any subtle means of deception to get you just to doubt God. He doesn't have to take you out. All he has to do is to make you doubt God's word. And once you doubt, then you fall out of God's will. Now, God has made provisions for you to get back in his will, but understand you are at war against an enemy who wants you to doubt God, to not trust him, to not obey him. And we see at the very beginning of the Bible that this was his tactic. And now we see today the challenge we have is to trust God regardless of what we go through. I'm a witness. It's hard to trust God. It's hard. Sometimes I say here, it feels like you're falling apart. But what I've soon discovered is that if you stay faithful to God, if you trust him through seasons of doubt, when the promise comes, oh, there's great reason to rejoice. God is in the business of changing hearts. I don't know what he's doing in your life to change your heart, but I know the fact is he is changing it. You just got to trust him until you get to the other side of the storm. We'll cover this month. Trust that God's seed will win the war. Next week, we're going to cover trusting that God has made a way to save you from death and obey his instructions that will also keep you protected. Week three, this is resurrection week. Develop a type of trust in God that even if he could leave you, this is a tough one. Even if God could leave you, that you would still trust in him. And the last week, we're going to talk about rejoicing because of Jesus' selfless sacrifice. This week, we're going to jump into trusting that God's seed will win the war. If you have a Bible, please open up to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to go through verses 1 through 15. You know, this is one of those scriptures that you probably will hear 900 times by the time you're 90 years old, if you happen to live to you're 90 years old. But this scripture here is the gospel spoken in the Old Testament. And when God gave this promise, it was declared throughout the whole world. I would say before the flood, most people knew of this promise. We hear of these hybrid creatures, whether it's uh, Thor or whether it's, uh, what's his name, Hercules, these superhuman creatures that were in their mind designed to be heroes, champions of the world. But God sent his son 4,000 years after this promise. 4,000 years God had to preserve and protect a very specific line of people. All the while, it seemed like at every step it was all going to fall apart. I don't know why God does that. It's kind of like this. You're praying for God for a particular thing. God, I need $1,000 to pay my rent. And if I don't get that $1,000, Lord, I'm out of the house. Who's been there? Don't raise your hand. Lord, I need $1,000 to pay for my car. And if you don't come through with this, Lord, I'm going to lose my car. And if I lose my car, Father God, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my It's all over. Lord, I need you to come through. My student loans are due. And God, if you don't come through with the money, it's all over. And all the while, while you're praying, there's one day left. And you're like, oh, no, Lord, please give me the money. I need it, God. And it's just at the 11th hour, oftentimes, God comes through. But have you noticed something else? The 11th hour, you're praying, God, move, and you're fasting, and then it doesn't happen. And you're like, Lord, I don't know what's going on. Well, all of a sudden, a series of events happen, and God works it out another way. 
All the while, your faith is being stretched. He's getting you to trust him. What I found out is when you wait to the 11th hour and God moves, oh, he gets glory. The last second shot goes in, and you're like, oh, God, you did it, God. I'm going to press you forever. But I saw something miraculous happen, that once it doesn't happen, and you're like, Lord, what happened? I thought you said it was going to happen. I prayed and I fasted. I did everything I could to make it happen, Lord God, and it didn't happen. And then two weeks later, <laughs> something happens that makes all the ducks fall in a row. And you realize, oh, my goodness, God, you can even do it when it's impossible to be done. You can answer my prayers when it seems like there is no hope. You can move when it seems like it's a hopeless situation. God, I can trust you in any situation that I am faced with. The challenge you have today is can you trust him even when it seems like it's hopeless? That's when my faith began to grow. I was praying God for an answer. I said, God, I want to stay here. I want to do this. I want you to move. And if you do this, I'll serve you all my life, God. Just do it this way. And the time passed. And I was, in a sense, leaving the area that I wanted to stay in. Leaving the people I wanted to be with. What about the promises? I prayed. But God, when it was past time for him to move, moved. And the result ended up better because he did the way he thought was best. You got to be faithful even when it seems like he says no. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. If you have it, can you give your neighbor a high five? Oh, man, come on. That was horrible. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> if you could have seen what I just saw, it was like this. Can you give your neighbor a high five? We'll jump in there. There you go. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 15. It says, Now the serpent were more, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. This is one of the most peculiar scriptures in all of the Bible. Why? Because is he talking about Satan, which we, over the course of history, have come to believe that he is talking about Satan. But he doesn't say Satan alone. He says the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts. Any of the beasts. You see that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick at our theology today. And I'm doing it for a purpose, hopefully. Any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. So God had made other beasts, but the serpent was not like the other ones. He was more subtle. The serpent, did he have the ability to talk? We don't know. Most scholars say that Satan possessed the serpent, and at that particular time, the serpent had the ability to, to talk. We don't know specifically from the text. We read this in later on as we get into other parts of the Bible. But here right now, we understand that the snake, the serpent, is more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, this is one of the biggest controversies in the Bible. The serpent went to who? The woman. He did not go to the man. Now, I'm not trying to say it's about a male or a female. I'm trying to say this is interesting who he picked out to tempt. And he says, the serpent, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden." Look at those words. He went to the woman and asked a question challenging God's character. <laughs> and the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it. Now, if I stop right there... It makes sense. But I can't stop right there because this 
young lady says something else. Nor shall you touch it. Now, this phrase, touch it, is not in the original commandment God gave to Adam. This is something seemingly that she said that Adam, I don't think, heard. Regardless, are you saying that there was in the before the fall the ability to miscommunicate? I don't know. I'm showing you what the scripture says. She said what? Nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So we know at this particular point, Eve is thinking this. If I eat this fruit or if I even touch it, I will die. There's this, in a sense, implied point that it's poisonous maybe. And here's where I get this. Then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. He's like, that is a lie. He's, he's saying God's word is not accurate. God is deceiving you. God is not trustworthy. You can't trust God. Trust me. You can't trust God. Trust me. This is the war. The war that has been going on from the beginning until now. You can't trust God. I know people who aren't very, if you would say, quote, unquote, charismatic. People have a tough time hearing God. But here, this is interesting. Have you ever heard a voice that said, you can't trust the Bible? I've never heard anybody say that, but sometimes I just haven't done it. Now, I can't say in that particular moment I heard a voice, but my conclusion was the Bible at this moment may not be trustworthy, and I acted as such. Satan is explicitly challenging God's Word. He's saying God's Word is not trustworthy. It was the very first temptation. You can't trust God. Let me go on. He gives an explanation why God is not trustworthy. For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan has set his trap. And now Eve has to make a choice. Will I resist him temptation and go back, maybe even to Adam and discuss this choice? Or will I just go forward on my own? And Eve made a decision to go forward on her own, to not consult with God. She didn't consult with Adam or God. She just made a decision to say, I trust you over God. It says in 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's an interesting Hebrew expression right there. It's saying it's not poisonous. So she realized that if she can touch it, she wouldn't die. That's what's being communicated. Remember, she threw in this extra level little phrase. If you touch it, die. She realized I could touch it and I wouldn't die. Hmm, therefore, maybe I can eat it and I won't die. Not only that, but I can eat it and I can have this knowledge that God has been withholding from me. And not only that, but I can have wisdom that God hadn't given to me. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, meaning not poisonous, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, meaning it looked desirable. Look at the text here. There's a progression here of Eve. It seems like, according to the text, this conversation is not happening right in front of the tree. It seems like her and the enemy are talking as they're going toward the fruit. It's almost like she had never seen this fruit up close. And that's why the phrase comes, it was pleasant to the eye. She finally sees the fruit and it's like, you know what? This looks like it's something good to eat. It's actually pretty. Hmm. Why would God withhold something pretty from me? Why would God withhold something good from me? Why would God withhold something beautiful for me? Oh, 
He doesn't have my best interest in mind. The serpent is right, was her conclusion. And a tree desirable to make one wise. So she took of his fruit and ate it. Do you see the progression here? Satan subtly, using wisdom, didn't attack her, didn't pull out a sword, a knife, a gun. He had a conversation trying to undermine God's word. And his tactics haven't changed in 6,000 years. All he has to do is to get you to doubt God's word. And he's winning. He's winning. All you have to do is trust, and they say obey God's word. And you're winning. It doesn't say whether we want it to say it or not. To get your guns, to get your knives and fight against the enemies. It doesn't say that. It's not saying that's how we win over Satan. Here it's saying simply trust God's instructions. And when you trust God's instructions, you win. But at that point, you have to take the, the Bible and make it a priority. You have to take God's word and make it a part of yourself. Here, it seems like there was miscommunication between Adam and Eve before the fall. And it seems like Eve did not have any intention of going back and discussing this over with God. There was no prayer time with God. Is this true? There was no consulting with God. It was just this almost knee-jerk reaction. As soon as she thought God was unfaithful, untrustworthy, as soon as she thought God wasn't somebody that I could believe in, she went the opposite direction. And she made a free will choice not to trust God. In verse 11, and he said, this is, oh, I'm sorry, I jumped too far. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God and among the trees of the garden. I skipped something very important. It's a point that I often have a big debate about. Go back to verse 6. It says, So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and ate. <laughs> Why is this important? Because I have a debate with somebody in the church about this point. What is the point? Was Adam there? Was Adam just sitting there twirling the stones while the, the Satan, the worst villain of all human history, was there tempting his wife? Was he there just going, hmm, 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 I can hymn, song, whatever. But this is the point I want to throw out there for the, those people who have that thought. There's a word here. It says, she also gave. If you have a concordance, look up that word gave. Because what that word means is she presented to Adam. The implied point is she took to her husband and gave it to him. I always have this argument that Adam did not sin because he would deceive. The Bible says that. Adam, in full knowledge, ate of it. The reason why, we're not going to talk about today. That's not today's sermon topic. But the point is, Adam ate the fruit. And the fall happened after who ate? Adam, not Eve. And now they are both fallen, we say. But the scripture says something very funny. It says, then the eyes of both of them were what? Open. I've had people year after year. I've been in ministry 20 years almost, in ministry 20 years. And this right here is one of the hardest scriptures. People try to figure out, well, they, their eyes weren't open. Their eyes were open in the darkness because they're trying to make what happened seem negative. I'm not saying what happened wasn't negative because they, they fell. But the truth is their eyes were open. The point is there was some truth in what Satan was saying. He used a half-truth. He, he led them along or her along in a half-truth and then snatched her 
And that's the problem. Satan doesn't have to just come out and lie. He can very subtly communicate half-truths. And when he communicates those half-truths, we bite on the half-truth and not realize the rest of it is deception. And we fall. I'm almost done. And it says, after that, they knew they were naked. They were new as yada. They were intimately aware. They had complete understanding. They had full knowledge. They were unclothed. They were unclothed before, but now they know it. They were naked before, and now they are embarrassed. And it says, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And we go down here toward the end. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees. It goes on to verse 9. And the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? One of the most interesting questions in all human history. Is God not um, what? omniscient? Doesn't he know everything? He does. So who is this question for? Yes. Where are you? <laughs> where are you? God knows where they are. Do you know where you are? Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? And then begins this killer, uh, I'd say, this killer issue that has plagued humanity from the beginning of time until now. Destruction of communication. Not taking responsibility for your actions. Preach it, Pastor. I'm preaching now. Isn't that interesting? He did not take responsibility. Have you found Don't you know that's a result of sin? Not taking responsibility for your action is a result of the fall. Here we go. And it says, then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. And he heard his voice. Isn't that interesting? He heard him talking. And he didn't naturally come to him, but he what? He hid from him. He hid from God's voice. He hid from God. And I was afraid. He's afraid of God. Because I was naked, and I hid myself. Listen to what he says here. And he said, he meaning God, who told you that you were naked? Who told them that? Nobody told them that. They realized that. They realized that because they had eaten of the tree. And God follows it up from here. He knows this. He once again asks the question he knows the answers to, but then he goes on to say, Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? Coming toward the end here. And the man said, here's, the, here's one of my favorite parts of all the Bible. Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to me be with me, she gave me the of the tree at night. You hear that? He passed the buck all the way to the next day. It's your fault, God. That's what he's saying. You did this. God, you created this woman. That was okay before you made her. That's what he said. It was all good, God. It was perfect, but you blew it, God. You blew it. You messed up. You made the woman. You gonna try to blame me, God? Who do you think you are? Blaming God, a result of the fall. And the Lord God said to the woman, "What is it you've done?" All right, lady, what'd you do? Maybe, maybe she can step up. Right? She has an opportunity. I wonder. I just wonder. If they would have said at this moment, I messed up. I wonder if they would have said, I blew it. What would have happened? But they didn't. They're like, no. The serpent deceived me and I ate. 
the serpent got, you made, you put on this earth, he did it. It's your fault again, God. Now, 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, he didn't even ask the serpent anything. He knew that I was going to go immediately. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly shall you go. And you shall eat the dust all the days of your life. Now, a curse is being communicated to the serpent. But the curse doesn't end right there. Listen to the end of this curse. And this is the point of the sermon today. Verse 15. Let's look at this objectively. And I will put enmity, which is hostility. Who's putting hostility? This is interesting. I will put enmity, hostility between you and the who? Wait a minute. Why did he say the man? I never thought about that. Satan has hostility, enmity toward who? The woman. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But get this point. He did not say hostility between you and the man. He said you and the woman. Goes on to say, and between your seed and her seed. Now, we understand that word her seed is a, in a sense, divine prophecy of the coming Messiah. But this word seed is also plural, meaning descendants. So what's being communicated here is that the seed of the serpent will be eternally hostile to the seed or seed or descendants of the woman. There will be hostility between Satan's seeds and the woman's seeds for all time. Pray one more time and then we'll get started. Father God, in a brief time I have again, Lord God, help me to communicate this. There's a lot of content, Lord God, but I hope we hear it and apply it to our lives and become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't want to leave this point here because this is, I think, the most important point of the whole scripture. Because this right here, you have to get this last part. There will be a war, a, a eternal war started because of the fall, yes, but because God has put enmity there. There is a war that's happening right now, but people are trying to wreck war without doing it God's way. There's hostility that exists between Satan's descendants and the woman, Eve's descendants. And this war has to be won. Now, we know that the war was won where? On Calvary. Jesus Christ was faithful and died on the cross, and he won the war, and we can rejoice. But there is a challenge there for the descendants, the descendants, not just Jesus, but for us, the church. We are still at war. I wrestle around with who this woman is. Is it Eve? Is it Mary? Or is it the church? We're still here. That means you can buy pizza for me. (laughs) There's a war that is going on right now, and you are in the midst of the war. You can't escape it. Isn't that sad? We're in this war, and we can't even get out of it. We can't say, oh, I'm, I'm tapping out. I'm going home. We have to keep on fighting. It's like we jumped in the middle of a video game, and I don't know how to play. Tell me, what does B do? What does X do? Come on, somebody help me. And all the while, we're trying to figure out how to do this thing. And sometimes we're getting assailed and assaulted. But God said at the very beginning, this is how you win this war. Trust me. Trust him. And this is how we lose this war. Doubt him. Don't obey Cast the blame on him. Cast the blame on somebody else. God is asking us day after day to trust him just a little bit longer.
And as we trust him, we give him the victory. What do we need to know? The son of God would be wounded, but the son of Satan would be destroyed. There's an ultimate ending for those people, an objective end for those people who put their trust and confidence in Jesus Christ. We can't get away from that fact. This is a battle to the death. This is like the celebrity death match. <laughs> Does anybody remember that? It's just me. Okay, I'm a nerd. I apologize. I know, I know, no. Don't, don't admit to it out loud. <laughs> but if you ever watched a celebrity death match, it was clay animation. And they would jump in the ring and they would fight until it's over. <laughs> Don't go and Google it. Don't YouTube it. It is so vulgar and crass. I was unsaved when I watched it, but it was funny when I was watching it. And during the course, they would do these different moves with each other. Oh, man, man. And then finally, one would horribly, like Mortal Kombat, finish him end in a horrific way. And that's kind of what is being communicated here. I try to tell people, man, don't you get it? You're in the midst of a fight. And people are throwing blows. The Bible says he wrestles not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of this present darkness. We're wrestling against an enemy who will use any means at his disposal, steal, to kill, to destroy you. He's trying to win at all costs because he knows there is a prophecy out there that he will lose. And he will be eternally damned. Imagine that. Imagine Satan and his minions sin once and have fallen into eternal damnation. But I sinned at least five times this week. Imagine how incensed he is because of that. God, he's called the accuser, right, of the brethren. He's pointing at me right now saying, look at him, look at Anthony. Look at he's sitting here. Here and here, and you're forgiving him, but you won't forgive me. What kind of God are you? He says, you're not gracious. He says, you're not kind. Satan says, you're not loving. You're cruel. You're mean. You're abusive. Satan's lies that he pervades and tries to incorporate into the entire world. That your God is an evil and a mean God. He's strict, unloving, unkind. Satan's whole plan is to get you to believe his own thoughts and feelings about God. He wants you to agree with him on everything he says about God. He's untrustworthy. He can't protect you. He won't protect you. He's just using you. He's just going to abuse you, and he's using you, and he'll throw you away. Watch, because that's what he did to me. And throughout your life, you have to wrestle with the lies of the enemy, and you do that with God's word. It's your responsibility to know God's word, to trust God, to get closer to him so that when the enemy comes with his lies and deceit, you can refute the lies. Jesus Christ would win the war. Why do we need to know it? So that you would trust that God would win the war despite life looking like Satan has the upper hand. I guarantee you this. When we get to heaven, there will be a different history than we've read in our history books. I guarantee you the stories will be completely different. I guarantee when we sit down with Jesus, and I'm with Anthony and Greg, and I'm with Jim, and we're sitting down with Jesus and Chris and Carla, and we're all together with Al. And Jesus is telling us, this is life. Jesus is saying, this is what happened. Jesus is saying, this is what really was going on. Even though the history books made it seem like it was about countries taking over countries, it was really about God's seed fighting against Satan's seed. And that's the only story there's ever been. That has been omitted from the history books because the history books want you to believe, man, it's really about the greed of humanity. It's not necessarily about God's seed versus Satan's seed. But that's what it's been about from the beginning until the end. That God and his children have been trying to win 
Satan's children to his kingdom. And Satan is fighting to the nail because Satan thinks every single soul he takes with him is just a little bit of pain he can cause God. That's the only way he can hurt God, by hurting you, by hurting your family, hurting your friends, hurting your loved ones, by getting you to doubt God. He thinks he's winning. And the more people he takes with him, the better he feels about himself. And the more people he takes with him, the more in his mind he thinks it justifies, I told you, God, Satan says, you're not good. You're not loving. You're not kind. What do we need to do? We need to trust in God's word. We need to trust that God will win. And regardless of how bad it looks, how troubling it seems, understand that he will win. I've been in, like I said, ministry for almost 20 years. And can I tell you a little bit what I've seen in ministry? Trouble. <laughs> I've seen it bad. I've seen stuff that I'm like, how could that possibly happen in the church? But I realize we're being assailed. We are a place of refuge for the broken people. There's no whole people here. There's nobody in here that's perfect. We're all broken. And broken people do things that aren't that smart. See, I didn't use, I didn't use a bad purse. <laughs> we make mistakes. And we'll continue to make mistakes. But God has a provision for our issues. He sent Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for our issues, for our mistakes, for our bad choices, for our corrupted heart. And this provision exists. Think about this. Israel also had a similar provision. The Day of Atonement. Remember that day? There was a provision for their sins. But eventually they what? They doubted that. They doubted God and they went to other gods because they didn't think God was good enough. Loving and kind. So they forsook God's way. They forsook the sacrifices and they brought in other religions in order to make them feel good about themselves, their life, their future. They bought Satan's lie that God wasn't loving and kind and good. And they begin to worship other gods, leading them away from the only one who really loved them. They didn't realize there's only one war going on. Not against the Philistines and the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jezebites, the Moabites. It's a war between God's seed and Satan's. And we see this interesting phenomenon happen over and over. I've been working this whole time to get to this point. That almost every time in the Bible, almost every time, God's seed, the divinic line is almost wiped out. Time after time after time. We saw the flood. How many people were saved? Eight people. My math was not that good there. We see eventually David rise up to be king, and we think David is the one. And this guy has a horrific sin. This guy does some underhanded stuff. The king, he kills a Uriah the Hittite, takes his wife, then has babies with her. And he thinks, I'm the man after God's own heart. And we're like, get this dude on the bad guy's side. And eventually, what, the Davidic line is almost wiped out. But if you go to 2 Kings chapter 25, we see one of David's descendants eating at the table with a Babylonian king. And you think, why is it in there randomly? No, it's not. Because God is trying to show the reader that the Davidic line is still preserved. That God's still in control. That it seems like it's the 11th hour, that there's no hope. But God is preserving them all along. And they go off into captivity. You think it's over. But they come back. And even after they come back, we see, what? where's the divinity line? Where's the promised Messiah? And at the end of the last book in the Old Testament, in that book, it ends without the promised Messiah coming. And it seems like God is not what? 
He's, fa- he's unfaithful. God didn't send the Messiah. <laughs> this is awesome. He's not trustworthy. Why is God waiting to the last minute to do this? He's stretching the faith of all those who will put their faith in him. And then finally the Messiah comes. And Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And he's not the warrior king they were all wanting. This dude is a, oh, Lord, please forgive me, but help me communicate this point. He was a wimp. Oh, don't strike me. The Bible said he was uncomely. I say this all the time because I love it. The Bible says Jesus was not attractive. The Bible says there was nothing about Jesus that we liked. It says when we saw Jesus, we are like, ugh, is that the Messiah? Can't be. Because the Messiah looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Looks like Denzel, Brad Pitt, whoever you like, I don't know. That ain't the Messiah. That man is meek and lowly and humble. Oh. And not only that, but this guy goes to the cross. It looked like he failed. He didn't stand up for himself. This guy was weak. He's like a lamb. He's soft. Oh. I know that I'm talking to you, and I know he's a weak, soft egg. He's a marshmallow bug. I'll hit this. I'm going to hit this out of the park. Think about it. This is God. God is soft and weak and humble and lowly and loving. He's the very opposite of what Satan has been saying this whole time. And we have the evidence that he yielded to humanity, and humanity did its worst to crush him, to get him to doubt, to get him off course. But he stayed faithful unto the very end. Almost done. But he won. He won. He didn't give up. God has done it. The game is over. The cheat code has been put in. Up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, A, B, A, B. Start. Ooh, you know, you know what I'm talking about. We're there. Contra. <laughs> Nevertheless, why do we need to know it? So that you'll not waver in your commitment to God. Every day, you're stumbling. That's this life is about every day. You got to trust him again for your marriage, for your church, for your country, for your family, for your kids. You got to trust him for every single step. Every one, you got to make a conscious choice. I will trust you in this, God. And some people think they can pull away. And then you all know you can't get out of the game. You can't. You, you can't pull out. That's not part of the process. You are engaged in it until the end. But there's a hope. You got brothers and sisters who tell you it's okay. You don't have to give up. You have a church that's trying to love you the best it can. And you've got God's spirit inside of you telling you, don't give up. Don't turn around. How can I help you remember God predicted a last-second victory. So don't give up in the end. God told you, it's going to be okay. You got to trust him until it's over. It doesn't matter what you see happen in anybody else's life. Their life is not yours. Your story is not theirs. Your story is different. God will use you uniquely. That's why I have a hard time saying this is how God moves every time in every situation. That's not how it happens. There may be the president of the United States in here right now. I can't tell everybody, you're going to be president. So am I. I can't say that. That ain't in the Bible. But what is in the Bible is a challenge for you to trust in him. Your test is for you. I don't know if you're playing Contra or Metroid. I don't know if your game looks like Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. I'm throwing every stuff out here. I'm, I'm hurting. <laughs> I don't know if you're on Madden. I don't know what your game looks like. 
You may be playing, what's it? What's the game with the blocks? And you got a Tetranos, like a little, there we go, Jenga, Jumanji, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you're playing poker, cards. I can't, I can't jump in your game and give you instructions. Spencer, you're in your own game, dude. You have your own test, your own challenges. I can't give you the answers for the next step. All I can say is, trust him. Leo, you are in your own game. Man, I wish I could tell you, man, these are the steps. That'd be me being foolish. Because I don't know the next step. You got to push into him. You got to hear God for yourself. Anthony, don't give up. Don't stop going forward. I don't know what page you are on in your book, in the story of your life. I don't know where you are. He does. And that's a comforting thought. Now, I remember I was at this wedding, right? Remember this wedding? <laughs> I saw this young man, this lady. I saw them kind of go up in ministry. I saw God's hand on their life. I was there at this wedding. I really was. Do you believe me? Maybe not now. It's okay. That's the point. And man, while I was at this wedding, I was sitting there like, man, what's God going to do in their life? I'm sure I was at this wedding. Thinking I was at this wedding. And I saw God bringing this couple together. I was there. I'm serious this time. I was there. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I got to be a part of what God is doing. I wonder what God, what, has, what he has for them in the future. I wonder what struggles they're going to face, what ups and what downs. I wonder how their family's going to together. I was there at this wedding. Refute me if you want. You can bring up every single witness you want, but I know I was there. I was sitting right there. Didn't know how to work my camera well. <laughs> I was there. That's what this Bible is. It's a testimony that people were there. And they saw God do it. And, and God did it, and they're like, I saw him do it. I was there. I was witness to what God has done. And because God did it, they did not give up. And they remained faithful to the very end. Can I pray for you? Father God, thank you, Lord God. I'm sorry I went so long, but I, I feel your presence here. I thankful. I am thankful, Father God, that you're a healer or a store, a way maker. You're a good God. And you haven't given up on us, Lord God. You're constantly trying to encourage us. Keep moving forward. And Lord God, we understand, Lord God, that there are, there's a war going on. Lord God. Emotionally, we don't feel like engaging. Sometimes intellectually, we don't know how we're going to do it, Father God. And sometimes our heart, Lord God, is not surrendered to yours, Lord God, so we don't even want to do it. We ask you, Lord God, help us in our weaknesses. Help us be loving, caring, kind, and gracious. Help us be on your side until the very end. And we'll give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. bless you and keep you. Lord Jesus, make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. Lord Jesus Christ, turn his face towards you and give you peace. Happy Resurrection Month. Amen. Go and be blessed. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. 
Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong.